Hey, everybody. Welcome to Art Fight Podcast. It's uh, Thursday the 16th. Is that right? Yeah, woo, I got it right. Look at that. You know, Bastille Day came and went, people. Bastille Day came and went, and I didn't even celebrate Bastille Day on the 14th. But now it's the 16th, and, you know, I'm, I'm on quarantine time over here. Things just sort of come and go. Everything seems kind of the same. I'm not sure what's going on. This week, we were actually supposed to have the wonderful and talented and charming actress, martial artist, broadcaster, Phoenix Carnivale was going to be with us. But lucky for her, she actually just got a new, you know, video uh, fitness kind of thing happening with the new company. And uh, her filming schedule ended up getting in the way. She's recently been on a new show that's on Netflix. She's been popping up on commercials. So she's got a lot of stuff going on. And she's also a great friend of the show. And we will look forward to having her on again as soon as we can get her back back on schedule with us here. Good luck to her in the meantime. Sounds like she's got a lot going on with her acting. Brian, just you and I this week, but but you and I have a lot to talk about that we've been doing and, and that have been going on in our lives. And it just seemed like a good time to just sort of regroup, talk about UFC 251, talk about Fight Island, and also talk about all sorts of things about making art and, and fighting to not get uh, killed during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, it's it's been quite a quite a trip the last couple of weeks yeah i did some traveling and you know it's for work and you know safely it was one of those things where there's only one way to do a, a gig like that and we were able to do it but what it meant was actually being in an rv for a week so people have much worse situations it was a lot of fun and, and a lot of hard work but but it was good but yeah so 251 was was something i actually just caught finally catch you know i've been gone so i just sort of didn't really have the the my finger quite on the pulse of sort of the aftermath and I was actually particularly sort of you know concerned about Rose Namunas and you know how was she doing and was she all right? Yeah. And kind of what was her mental state? You know because it's such a weird thing, right? Like when you just you really dominate two rounds and then get really caught several times, very hard in the third and kind of beat up pretty badly. You still get the joy of the win and the transcendence and the feeling of the win. And I'm sure for them, it's like, take it however you can get it. Not a problem. Sure. But as a fan and as a you know, longtime fan of hers, especially, you know, it's sort of, you know, she, and she's one of those where for whatever reason, you just, it's, you irrationally, she's just such a, not a fragile at all. She's a powerful human, but she just seems very precious. And like, I just, I don't know, for some reason, and this is a thing that happens, I think a lot with any, any, whether it's male or female, when you see somebody that's finally kind of getting, getting hit in a way that they maybe haven't been hit before it you know you're gonna be a little concerned but anyway it was just cool to see that she was doing fine and and all that so yes i've been kind of just reassimilating to the to the world i've been what was the what's the Joni mitchell line between the white lines of the freeway what is that but anyway i don't know i'm thinking uh, of the other i'm thinking of the uh i'm thinking of coyote s- <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i'm thinking of the 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 song what am i there's another i'm thinking of both sides now which is different yeah. <laughs> also very timely <laughs> uh, but anyway so yeah man and you know this is cool in a way that sometimes we we end up not having a guest because sure we could just kind of get a chance to catch up because it means the way that things are now under normal circumstances we're in the studio together we're hanging out we have time beforehand we have time after you know I, the fact that i haven't even like been in the same room as you for you know, since whatever it was, early March, right? You know, it's it's wild to think about you know the lifetimes that have been lived since. So anyway, this is how I spend time with Sensei Joe. I'll take it. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, it seems like we're, you know, somehow we're still having, we're still sharing these experiences. I feel like one of the real highlights of 251 that, that you know, me and Antonia, my wife, were watching that together. And, and you know, by the time we got to the third round with Rose, like, for people who don't follow the fights or somehow didn't see her first fight with, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, with Jessica Andrade. Mm-hmm. You know, Jessica Andrade is like a super powerful, stocky, get in the pocket boxer and also a great wrestler. And in the first fight, Rose, who's a long, lean young woman, did a great job of basically fighting at range is what we would call it, meaning that she sort of stayed away from Jessica. And every time Jessica tried to get close enough to hit her with her very short arms comparatively or close enough to grab a hold of her so she could actually wrestle her, you know, Rose would pepper her with shots, beautifully accurate strikes, you know, of kicks and and punches alike. And then she'd float away and she'd be out of harm's way. And that was that worked great for a round. And in the second round, Jessica did get a hold of her for the second time. And the second time she got a hold of her, she slammed uh, Rose down on her head and actually knocked her unconscious and won the fight. So it was a really weird fight the first time through because Rose looked fantastic. Yeah, she looked incredible up until the point where she sort of, you know, basically held on to a to a submission a little too long and that's what resulted on her going head first into the canvas and and going unconscious but it's really weird when you're like clearly dominating a fight and then somehow suddenly lose a fight so i think everybody was really hoping people who are rose fans i'm a fan of jessica's as well but 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 i but you know rose is like queen right so so it's like she she i was really anxious for her to win but this time she kind of did it a little differently she's sort of hung around a little more. She didn't just float away so frequently. She wasn't so concerned about avoiding all the damage. She seemed like she was willing to get in there and fight back a little more than she had the first time in terms of actually trading punches with Jessica. And, and no surprise, by the end of the fight, by the third round, I mean, I was looking at the clock going like, I mean, basically when that last minute started counting down, I was like, she's just got to survive. She has to get out of this round. And she has to not get knocked down, not get knocked out. And so she can win this fight because she had won it for sure, you know, at that point, yeah. you know, and one would think, you know, but by the time the fight was over again, one of the the, mo- the biggest highlights of the whole night to me, which was a big night, by the way, lots to talk about. But one of the, the craziest things was at the very end, when at the end of that fight, they announced that Rose wins, they lift Rose's hand in the air, camera goes to like the close up of her, you know, you know, getting declared the winner. And, and, and here's Rose with like this big smile on her face, but also with like a jagged cut across her nose that's just bleeding down her face and a black eye on the left side or left eye was just like almost shut black and it was just a really funny juxtaposition to see her looking so happy and at the same time so obviously in need of ice and bandages (laughs) yeah you know so it's one of those things where you know uh, again for those that are not necessarily the the biggest fight fans you know i think that even outside of fighting i think that anybody can have a moment in their career or life and in, in whatever they're interested in, whatever they're up against where they're just not the same after uh, a certain amount of adversity or a certain amount of a rough go at whatever your craft or your world is, you know? And I think that that can kind of go one of two ways for most people. Like it's either something that it sticks with you in just a negative way and plants seeds of some sort of doubt that you just can't seem to shake or it emboldens you and it and you feel like that 
you 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 embraced the 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 difficulty of it and the pain of it and even if you didn't come out exactly how you hoped you still can put it together in your mind to say well I'm better for this and continue with sort of your kind of accumulation of life force or energy or power or whatever you're trying right. to move towards you know so I think that there's kind of like one way that goes with the other and I think that you know, for me, I I feel like with with Rose Namajunas' Nama career that it's been. I don't know. She she's not fought in a while. She's had two rematches in a row. I don't know. I just kind of had this feeling. I wondered if you know, even when she lost the belt, she's you know to Andrade in the first fight, she was sort of, you know, didn't really mean anything you know to me. And that's just because she's on this other level as a human being, right? She right. She gets it. She knows how you can sort of simultaneously make something very important. And, and existentially a source of drive, but at the same time not have all your sort of identity eggs in that basket or however you want to put it. So, But anyway, I guess my, my thought was I wasn't sure after that when she lost her title to Andrade if that was something that would stick with her in a negative way or not. And she took a long right. time off, so, you know, that's another thing, right? People talk about ring rust or time away. And, you know, you just feel like, too, like people at that age, you know, when you're starting to get into your... I mean, I remember when I was in my 20s, you know, like my early 20s were very different than my late 20s in terms of sure. just, you start to settle into, I don't know, your frontal lobe forms or, you know, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And you know, just, literally your brain connects yeah, and then right. all of a sudden you're, <laughs> you're a different person at about <laughs> right. 26. You're like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't take acid at 1.30 in the morning and I should, and I should practice, you know, whatever my I thing is. I feel empathy. <laughs> yeah so so i guess i just wondered you know with her career and and the the pressure that she's been under and especially when you consider how worldly and and sort of more broad her worldview is and her outlook on life and just her focus on just kind of uh the metaphysical and you know all, all this i just sure. you know she just seems to have it really together in that way and and so i just wasn't sure if she was going to come back uh and if she was i wasn't sure if she was going to come back the same so then now that she came back and then had the fight that you sort of described, I was very mm. interested immediately to see if even like after the happiness of just getting the, the win, you know, check mark, got it done, you know, avenged my, my previous loss, if she would still really be vocally up for the challenge of now the title and fighting Zhang Weili and all that. And, and it sounds like she is. I mean, you know, from what I see, there's no talks officially about it yet. And obviously, you know, knows, uh, knows Rose, Rose's nose has to recover. Uh, right. And she's probably gonna have to have surgery and stuff. So anyway, you know, it was a whole, just, a, is, she, is there talk about her needing a surgery? Yeah. She was saying that yesterday for what her nose. Oh, really? It's that bad. It's broken. And she has a deviant oh, septum, she said. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was kind of saying like, it probably would be okay without surgery if she didn't have a deviated septum, but that, but she does, but she does. So it's just kind of uncomfortable or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, breathing. <laughs> yeah. Breathing's important. <laughs> it's a big, important thing when you're fighting. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, one other thing that I think is, oh, and you know, <clears throat> side note, I just want to say that I, I only feel important in life in one way. And that is that uh, about 10 years ago, I followed Rose Namunis on Instagram and she followed me back when I, mm-hmm. when I, you know when it didn't when it didn't mean as much of course because she was not famous yet but she she hasn't unfollowed me and i really appreciate that That's no good. but you uh, gotta jump in those dms and get her on the show bro i know man <laughs> yeah so so anyway in the other the other thing that she said in this helwani interview that i thought was a particular note that probably you would have more insight on than me 
was she was saying you know she was talking about sort of the juxtaposition of Trevor Whitman as a coach and Pat Barry as a coach and mm-hmm. how that works for her and how she puts all that together and the way she put it was uh, generally that to make them all work together it's great because Trevor Whitman is more boxing focused MMA boxing but boxing focused mm-hmm. and then on the other side Pat Barry is you know pure kickboxer and that whole sort of stand your ground mantra that, you know, that he was telling her in the corner the other night and, right. you know, still kind of talking about that, like that, that was really the key. And that was more of a kickboxing sort of a mentality. And so, but she's found some way to weave it together, which is of course the beauty of, of MMA in general. And, and so I just, it was interesting to sort of get a sense of how you can have different coaches that have different expertise levels and you figure out how to not hierarchically assign them necessarily, but to, to blend them. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's, it's, it's definitely an interesting thing with her. And it's, it's an interesting thing in MMA in general, because I just feel like because MMA encompasses so many separate skill sets, it's, it's that the training aspect of it makes it very different from like boxing. You know what I mean? That's one of the things that I think, you know, you'll see a boxer have a coach and a team and that's just their coach and their team. And if they're being successful and their career's heading in the right direction, you'll see a boxer hang out with his coach and his team for years and years and years, you know? Yeah. But in MMA, it's not uncommon to see fighters moving around more, you know? And and like in her case, you know, Pat Berry is actually also her fiance. So, you know, they're in the same corner, you know, day in and day out, right? Mm-hmm. So she's not going anywhere in terms of in terms of Pat Berry, but but you know, but you know, the idea that a fighter might you know, decide that, oh, I'm, you know, my jujitsu just isn't where it needs to be. And, you know, somebody reached out to me and, uh, you know, called me, you know, at home and, you know, asked, you know, invited me to come down to, you know, Gracie gym in New York, or, you know, asked me to come out to the West coast and train with, you know, black belt surfing and Brian Ortega and all those guys, you know, whatever, like, you know, it's not, it's not uncommon for MMA people. And some, some people are very, you know, vague when it comes to their training just train all you know wherever and then you have people like tony uh ferguson who's like i'm gonna build a training place for yeah. myself on a mountain and i'm gonna go away like some weird kung fu film yeah. and just go into some mysterious thing that nobody really understands you know <laughs> so it's 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 that that's one of the things that's really rich about mma i think is just the 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 various ways that people prepare for this crazy you know, melange of, of different sports, you know, cause it really is a combination of not just like kickboxing, but like boxing and kickboxing and wrestling and, and, you know, submission grappling of all different kinds, you know, and you saw in the fight the other night with Paige Van Zandt and yeah. uh, tell me the, the Brazilian girl's name, I, I uh, Rebus, is that her last name? Amanda Rebus. Amanda Rebus. There we go. I, I don't think I, I, if I've seen her fight before, I, I wasn't, it was, you know, before people were talking about her and I wasn't that aware. I think I've seen a few of her earlier fights, but you know, again, like on an undercard or something like that. But when she fought Paige Van Zandt the other night, one of the things I loved and which I always loved to see in MMA was she threw, uh, I think at least once, but I think twice she did a couple of really cool judo throws where she like basically got 
uh, Van Zandt into like essentially like a front, uh, not a front headlock, but into like a headlock position, yeah. and then was able to throw her right over her hip. And and you don't see that a lot in MMA, but when you do see it, it's so rad, you know. So yeah. so there's sort of like no limit, or like Tony Ferguson, who I just mentioned, is one of the guys who, for sure, definitely actually shows you that you could incorporate all sorts of kung fu, you know, movement and stuff into this sport, and and it's valid and it works. So I, I that's one of the reasons why that sport, you know, just is endlessly fascinating to me from the beginning was just, you know, seeing how all these different pieces can fit together and, you know, and seeing how certain fighters, you know, pick and choose what they want and then figure out how to incorporate it and, you know, who to go to, to learn more about it and all that stuff. So that I, I, I'm very fascinated by all that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if, if, if it tells you anything, you know, Amanda Rebus tossing Paige Van Zandt in that way, <clears throat> what it if it tells you anything what it tells you is like what i was getting from it at least at the time and this is all sub- subjective i don't really I, i'm not an expert but you know what i have picked up over many years of of listening to other experts is that if you do throw someone in that way because it's similar to what rousey would do often yeah um, totally but the thing also is also judoka <laughs> yeah 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 and, and and the thing is is that that generally is something you can't do. You can't do that to everyone. If somebody is an incredibly skilled grappler, if you're putting, if you're going to toss someone in that way, you're, you're, you're really at risk of giving up your back to that person. Right. Totally. And so if it said anything to me for her, for Rebus to pitch Van Zant down in that way, what it, what it told me was Amanda Rebus does not give a shit about Paige Van Zandt's grappling skills or right. anything and just held her there. It really was like a sort of a, a big sister, little sister kind of fight. I mean, and, and for, for Paige Van Zandt to have, I don't know, she, she seems like she's on, in some other place. I don't know what she's actually about or, or whatever. And that's fine. I don't really care, but she's got a lot of other things where she can make more money and, and, and does so. And so I feel like she's just sort of half in half out anyway. Right. While you were on the road, I was uh, I did a little meetup with uh, Nancy Kidder and some of our you know comrades who who do that stuff with Nancy. Um, and uh, for I guess are you eating are, right now? No, not exactly. Okay, well, what, what is going on over there? <laughs> you realize I'm just looking at you from the waist up, so I don't know what the hell is happening right now. <laughs> It's okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> so, so, so when we were, we were, this was right before 251 took place. And so, you know, Nancy Kidder for, you know, people who are, you know, familiar with the podcast know she's a uh, professor at American University who does a course called Writing and Fighting, where they basically use combat sports as a jumping off point to do an English class, essentially. And she has been uh, really great about sort of looping together lots of people in the MMA media for lots of Zoom meetings and really interesting sort of like conference calls and stuff that we've done. And uh, a bunch of us got on a Zoom call with her right before 251 and just sort of you know, you know, just had kind of a happy hour together and talked about 251. And and we talked about Paige Van Zandt. And I was saying that there was something, I can't remember, I think it was Dan Hardy was talking about uh, Paige. And he, and he said, you know, she was somebody who started off as an MMA fighter who became a celebrity. And now she's sort of more like a celebrity who also fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and was talking about the fact that really that kind of a model 
is actually a better model for a different promotion like Bellator or something yeah. like that, where she could possibly end up. At the same time, I mean, like you say, I'm not sure, you know, first of all, losing that fight the way she did, I don't think it was a surprise. And at the same time, it even if it wasn't a surprise, it doesn't really help you get a great contract from another promotion leaving the if you if she ends up having to leave the UFC it certainly doesn't give her any any you know leverage with the UFC yeah to be um, disposed of in that way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i feel Not like and we're, and we're talking about a, a first round loss right is that correct yeah yeah so i mean it was a fast a fast thing and and like you say the manner in which it went down for people who aren't familiar with the mechanics of this kind of a thing imagine grabbing your little brother in a headlock, <laughs> right? And then you flip him over your hips so that when he lands on his back, your back is on his chest, essentially. And when your back is on his chest like that, if you know anything about jujitsu, it's a perfect opportunity for your little brother then to reach up and grab your neck, for instance, and choke you out. I mean, it's your... It's exactly just sitting there waiting for you to do that. If you're not careful and if you don't actually land it right and transition to a new position quickly and all this stuff. And that is why, as you say, in the early days of women's MMA, Ronda Rousey could do this to anybody. But in the place we're in now, it can be very dangerous, even with average level UFC fighters, because everybody knows if you land on my chest with your back, oh, I can just grab you. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden you're fighting off a submission and it doesn't matter if you threw me. You just threw me, you just essentially threw me into a better position than I was in when I was in a standing headlock. <laughs> you know? yeah, so, yeah. so I just think, I, I don't know what happens with her. And like you say, on some level, you know, she's somebody, if you're a big fan of combat sports, she's somebody who, you know, is not necessarily taken, you know, very seriously anymore. But I also felt that, you know, uh, her run in the UFC has been an interesting one. She has been surprising every now and then. She's a very athletic girl for sure. And she's proven, not and just she's, a slouch. And she's you know? proven some serious toughness. I mean, she's... Yeah, 100%. She, I mean, I hate to say that, like, she's had the shit beaten out of her many times. But she has. And But in a way where she still put up a fight and proved herself as a determined competitor in a, in a true way. So I don't mean to downplay that. And she's had her moments, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And she came out of a gym called Alpha Male, which is a gym in California that's, you know, definitely one of the, the you know, premier, you know, it's one of the places that really built the sport. So she wasn't just, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, some silly place with no real coaching or anything like that. She was, you know, about as legit as she was able to actually be, you know what I mean? So it's just a thing where at the end of the day, I think, Sometimes people give she gets a bad rap in a way because she also proved to be, you know, a charismatic, pretty young woman who quickly turned her small amount of MMA experience into an Instagram career and a dancing with the stars career and all these things that that made her a bigger star than than the MMA people thought she was in the sport, which, of course, was true. But she's obviously bigger than the sport, and maybe we'll just leave the sport. Who knows? It's interesting that because we didn't really talk, we just knew that we were going to talk about 251 on this episode for at least some period of time. We didn't talk about what sequence or what fights we would focus on or anything like that. We just wanted to kind of vamp on it and uh, talk about what was interesting. I think it's interesting in retrospect already that we have not even mentioned anyone but female fighters. Yeah, I mean, 
I it, like we say on this on this you know podcast more than once. I mean, I feel like really in a lot of ways, it's I find the female fighters to be some of the most interesting, and and in some of the ways we're talking about, like for instance, the last night there was a fight with Molly McCann. And a man, I'm not going to remember her name because this was this was rather new. She's rather new to the UFC, but a Brazilian fighter who actually has like a 15 and one record. I think it's 16 and one after last night's win. But her record in the UFC is only like two or three wins. Right. God, I can't I, I don't have any of these names, you know, offhand. But but that fight was one that that was it was interesting. You know, Molly is kind of a fan favorite. Uh, who's actually been on a small winning streak, but she was sort of outsized and ultimately kind of outclassed last night by someone who is just a, you know, a longer, leaner, reachier kickboxer. You know what I mean? Really, really kind of, uh, very elegant sort of knees and stuff. Really, really beautiful movement on her feet, but then even better movement on the ground when it came to like her, her jujitsu and whatnot. But in the middle of the fight, one of the commentators, made the point that, you know, you know, they're kind of commenting on, well, this person did this and this person did that. And then somebody popped in and said, yeah, but like neither of them looks like they're slowing down at all. Like they, they've just been going at it hard. And it's like at that point, I think it was toward the end of the second round or something. And I think that's one of the real hallmarks of women's fighting that we didn't see at the beginning of men's fighting part of it, because at the beginning of men's fighting the UFC, it was all heavier weight classes, right? Which are, you know, big heavy dudes who are prone to explosive movements and then periods of exhaustion, right? Cause they're moving a lot of weight around. But I also think there's something just about the, the mechanics of men and women where in women's fighting, man, you just don't see women hanging on each other, trying yeah. to get their breath. It Not just often. never happens. Yeah. They're just, smashing each other i mean it's it's one of the hallmarks of of women's fighting i think is that capacity for physical endurance and along with that you know it's and it's unsettling at times because socially speaking we don't want to see women getting smashed you know what i mean there's just something about seeing a guy get his nose broken doesn't bother us as much as seeing a woman get her nose broken yeah but but they also you know many of these women in these not every woman in the world perhaps but certainly these women in this milieu you know have a undeniable capacity for for toughness as yeah. well you know so i think i think you know and we also have the benefit of seeing women sort of developing uh, a style of mma after the men have come through and and created a lot of the wheels. You know, you don't have to reinvent yeah. how kickboxing works in MMA. We've we've figured that out. At least as men, they've figured it out. Now, as women, they can just grab that baton and 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 alter it and change it as they need to for their own sakes. But they don't have to figure it out in the first place. So we're seeing the evolution happen so much faster. I wonder uh, what that's about. You know, in terms of like how, how I guess it's sort of our primordial sort of caveman. You know tendencies or just thinking about why is it that you know it is tough tougher to see a, a woman get punched in the face right i mean yeah i think like, it's sociological more than anything you think so <laughs> yeah i think you could be in a different culture where it wouldn't bother you as much i think because uh-huh. obviously they can take it you know what yeah. i mean so so why why does it bother us uh, and i just uh, i just had the girl who the woman the young lady who fought molly mccann 
was Talia Santos. And I'm okay. sorry I didn't get her name happen in the first. <laughs> I do literally no research when we do this. I just yeah. start talking and then, uh, then I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's, that's why we put the word art first in the, in the podcast name as opposed to fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. we're, we're not, uh, you know. If you want actual information, go somewhere else, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, we get to it. We get to it eventually, but I have to stop and look it up. But yeah, but Talia Santos looked fantastic last night, and 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 I did remember Jessica Andrade's name, so I'm doing I'm doing pretty great. Do pretty great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet I bet one of Nancy's students over there at American University is somebody has had to have written a paper on this this issue of sort of the, the sociological sort of underpinnings of, you know, like what I, how about this? Like in a perfect world, if there is equality at some point, which we all, we know that there's not, <laughs> but you know, people are tr working together to try to get there. If there is equality, would it be fair to say at that point that one indicator that there is some sort of just, I'm not saying it's the deciding factor, but maybe just one in the constellation of factors would be that, that feeling maybe in a couple of generations goes away and that there's mm -hmm. not people feeling more sorry for a woman uh, getting punched in the face than a man. That's a, yeah, I don't know. It could, or, or it's going to go the other way and everybody's going to feel bad about anybody being punched in the face and we won't, and they'll just be an art podcast. At that right. right. <laughs> Everybody just take your gloves and go home. We don't do this anymore. Remember back when they right. would actually yeah. have competitive. Do you remember when they used to do that? It was horrible. <laughs> this guy had an island and that's all it was for. And they fought on an island. It was so <laughs> gross. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of our friend Georgia when I say these words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Honey, it's so how do you watch that? Y'all. <laughs> Y'all. So, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the other things, actually, I, I always try to remind anybody that sort of questions like, hey, why are you into that stuff? Or that seems weird or whatever, fighting. There are a couple of examples that I think are good reasons as to why or how, I've, how I function with it or how it works for me is, for instance, you know, all these fights happened during a pandemic. They all had to endure quarantines and checks and testing and all of this to get themselves to fly, you know, whatever it was, 13 hours to Abu Dhabi to, you know, all of a sudden be on an inverted sleep schedule. It's 159 degrees outside or God knows whatever it is there. And they're all stuck in a room. If they do get out, it's not for very long or what, you know, just everything about being a fighter from what I've gathered. And just for any practice, if you're an artist, you develop your rituals and your habits and the times that you work best or, you know, whatever it is, everybody's got their, their way. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like if you're a musician in a band and you're used to playing gigs at night and then all of a sudden you got to get on a plane, fly 13 hours somewhere and play a gig at seven o'clock in the morning, you mm -hmm. know, and have your energy and your wherewithal and, and feel like you're on top of your game. You know, I, I see all that. I saw all the fighters sort of, how they were, you know, reconciling with all those challenges and the uncertainty also of the, you know, how safe is this going to be and, you know, all that. And, uh, you know, so like when I'm out on my, you know, my journey that I did in the past week doing a bunch of drone work for a film project, you know, I'm out in just incredibly tough conditions in the deep south. It's super mm -hmm. hot. It's very unfriendly conditions. And, you know, I'm in a place where I don't want to, it's really weird to be in the position where like, I don't want to draw any attention to myself for the, for my own safety. I don't want people approaching me or deal, you know, harassing me or anything. But at the same time, I have to fly a huge drone lawnmower 
in the sky that does nothing but attract attention and curiosity and questions. You know, and I had to do it on college campuses. I had to do it in residential areas. I had to do it in a bunch of different places for this film. So, you know, I think about that, like how I get inspired by seeing, it's like if these people can fly to Abu Dhabi against coronavirus and their schedules and their way of doing things and come out unscathed and successful in any way on the other side, like I can endure these discomforts that I'm dealing with in my idiom or my craft or whatever it is that, that I'm doing, it's not that big of a deal. So I just, I borrow a lot of inspiration, I think, from from the things that fighters put up with that is not just the, the difficulty of the fight itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's something inspiring about it. I mean, there's something inspiring about all of it all the time anyway, you know, but it's definitely, I mean, I got to tell you, I, when this all first started and they're talking about doing all these fights during this time, it just seems so hubristic and I just so dumb and arrogant and stupid. And, and now it may still be all those things where it has yet to really be seen, but, but so far, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of evidence that, you know, there's been a lot of comment that says, you know, Hey, they're actually doing this really carefully in terms of keeping people quarantined and, you know, at bay and testing and all this stuff and separating everybody during the events as much as possible. You know, obviously the two fighters can't be separated at the, at the event, but, but they've been thoroughly tested and quarantined before this, you know, so, so that's, that seems to be working. And I'm just saying that, you know, at this point I'm, I'm, I definitely am happy to be able to see the fights and look forward to the fights. And, and it was even fun, even last night, you know, watching, you know, watching the, the sort of, you know, less star studded card in the middle of the week, was still entertaining saw some good some good action and and really enjoyed it but i wanted to get back to you talking about what you've been doing when i was talking with nancy and and our little group before 251 kyle green our buddy on twitter was one of our friends who was there you know in that meeting yeah. talking about all the fights and stuff yeah and kyle is a, also a scholar uh, who uh, sociologist is into, like, as well right that's right yeah. who's interested in combat sports and and i I messaged him after and said, you know, he should really come on the show. So maybe we can get him on soon and talk to our our audience about what he does because it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, he's a pretty elegant, uh, eloquent guy. I'm sure he's an elegant yeah. man as well, but yeah. a very uh, thoughtful. You know, he seems to have a lot of interesting insights into the kind of stuff that we talk about. But he, I mentioned that you, you know, weren't in the call because you were out on the road, and he immediately chimed in and he had been paying attention to the fact that you were doing this project. That had to do with a with an NBA basketball player. Why don't you, do you want to share a little bit about that? Can uh, you? I don't, that's I don't want to put you on the spot, but yeah, I mean, in general, I, I just did though. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, I think it's probably fine. I mean, I don't think it's gonna. I, I think it's interesting, and people probably would like to know a little bit of why are you traveling around in an RV with a drone in the middle of. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> well, no, so it's a, it's a really neat document series project. I'm not sure where it's going to be happening. It's not my project, right? I was sort of just hired to to work as essentially crew on the project. It's it's a company out of LA that's doing it and they're just hiring. They just basically hired me to to go do the the drone work for it. But it's interesting how it all came about. So I'll talk about it for a little bit, but uh, Yeah. So so the way this started was, and this is this is the, I think this might have some helpful, you know, any any artists that are listening or or watching, you know, any creatives. I think that what I experienced in this project is something that we all hope to experience, and 
you have to kind of set yourself up for that and you plant seeds for things to happen and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't but when they do it's really validating so anyway i'll get to actual specificity here so i got a i got contacted by someone that had seen some of my drone film work online and they said wow what you're doing is really different it's it's more you know perhaps artistic or creative or sublime in its pace or some element about it whatever it is there's something about it that's really cool we will a are doing a documentary on a subject, an NBA player that plays for the Memphis Grizzlies, and his the player is uh, Ja Morant, who's a phenom and just an, an, a really amazing kid and a, a really great story. And they said, look, we're doing this thing on Ja Morant, and they said, we love the footage that you already have of Memphis that I found online. Can we license some of that? And then also, would you be willing to go shoot some more stuff for us in your style and in, and in your way? And so those conversations evolved to essentially following John Morant's roots. So he is from originally Dalzell, South Carolina, which is sort of towards the coast, pine country for sure. And then not far from there is Sumter, South Carolina. So he's sort of from that area originally. So I was the first, or not the first stop, but one of the stops was to go to where his house was in rural South Carolina, where his father had built him a basketball court in the backyard and was the practice spot for you know 30 40 kids at all times and they ran it sort wow. of they sort of sent, ran this kind of basketball operation out of the backyard and you know John Morant's story is also interesting because he was very overlooked and undersized by recruiters he he was you know very he was like 57 when he was in college and he just didn't have the full athletic ability i think that was needed by scouts or i guess maybe that was for for his college recruitment so anyway you know big tractor tires there for him to jump on and get his uh, vertical improved and all that. So there's that sort of scene there in, in South Carolina. Then in Memphis, where he plays, right? He plays at the Forum. Uh, there's a lot of scenery there I wanted to capture. That. So part of what my assignment was was also like sort of going and uh, finding interesting basketball courts just in the city. And then, That's cool. And just doing sort of artistic filming of using a drone of, of these basketball courts. And so I did a lot of research ahead of time, Google Earth and everything else to sort of find. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, just to find these spots and then kind of built a whole shot list that's like a progressive shot list in Google Earth and it just takes me to each location. So anyway, and then Murray State in Kentucky is where he went to college. So I had to go up there and film the campus and some other things up there and also some basketball courts and and other scenes or, or things that they needed for the for their document series. And So anyway, uh, it's a really neat, neat project, really neat kid, really neat story. And it was, I think, if anything, just really interesting to... Uh, well, so, oh yeah. And so the thing was, is like, how the hell am I going to do this? Typically I would just go stay in a hotel, go to the next location, you know, stay in a hotel or, or whatever. But during this Corona situation, you know, I was just like, man, like, you know, we're, we're on the super safe side, probably more than most, most people. I don't go inside. We haven't been inside really anywhere since all this started. Like we'll do. That's smart. Cause that's just, that's where the problem is as far as I see it. I mean, I'm not saying there's not problems yeah. in other ways, but Hell is other people for real now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know. God. And so uh, it's Kafka, right? Or no, Dostoevsky. Yeah, sorry. So, so anyway, you know, I was hoping that this company, production company, would be amenable. But I just said, look, the only way I can do this, man, and I feel even remotely good about it, and it's still sketchy to me because if we break down or we have some scenario, like there could be any number of problems that come up that sort of expose us in, in some way. But they were cool with it. So I rented an RV for a week and we just stayed at state parks and it was actually, you know, 
cheaper than staying in a hotel and you're not cheaper but like you know maybe the same price or a little bit cheaper yeah how much how much is it for a hookup like uh 50 bucks is it that much what do you mean for a hookup like a campsite i mean did you have to did you have to like have a hookup for the rv like so you could have electricity and whatnot or yeah or, i mean or? yeah so you don't really have to but it's super nice if you can and all the state parks have them so all the right. all the state parks we stayed at the hookup you know, it's a camp there it includes everything and it's it's all it was like you know usually between 15 and 25 dollars a night that's great yeah and honestly like it's one of those things too where it's like why is this not like this is how this should all be done like like i would much rather be doing this than be in a hotel any day of any kind i don't care how nice the hotel okay maybe it's some you know in the future but I'm not like hotels are the worst places to be right now. Airbnbs, there's not a lot of assurances there. It's it's just not safe, and I wasn't gonna take any chances. So we got an RV, rented it, sterilized the hell out of it, packed it up, and got on the road. and And we just, you know, and it has a generator too. So when when I'm out on shoots, you know, I can still charge all my batteries and all my gear and and all that. And I had you know mobile internet. We had like a little little production studio on wheels. I was able to upload footage as I did it and it was just really cool so overall neat story but the part of that i just wanted to kind of relate maybe to sort of artists or whatever is like the the thing that brought this company to me to bring me this sort of really cool fun interesting gig that i would never had have had otherwise not not necessarily one from my sort of network or normal operations is because i just made stuff that i wanted to make and just put it out there to put it out there and and made it discoverable and then that is how somebody found my work and said, we want that. Like there was none of this. I had the trust of the director and everybody involved right away. And they said, just do, you know, I'm going to tell you some things like it'd be great if we could get shots of this and that and the other, but just ultimately just do what you do. That's and, rad. Yeah. And so then you, when you're shooting, you know, you're not feeling like you have this pressure to uh, like see it. Boxes. Yeah, or to see it through their eyes. I mean, it's a little bit of the tick boxes in the sense that you want to get certain locations and things that you know are just sort of the bread and butter of the logistics of scene editing in terms of like, you uh -huh. know, you have to get a shot of the water tower that says the name of the town on it or like stuff that I don't necessarily <laughs> find that interesting. But you, you kind of, when you think about what it's functionally serving to hold up dialogue or to... to create a setting you know in a document ser yeah, documentary series establish a location yeah it's just like that's the that's the bread and butter that kind of thing whether you like it or not like it's not an experimental documentary on an nba player right it's a it's a high you know like you know a good budget project and a legit project so anyway but i just thought it was interesting for that reason that they found me in the way that they did i also found it interesting that i was sort of thinking of you know as i was pulling my gear through swamps and mud and, you know, <laughs> getting eaten alive by things and sweating so much that I can't even see my drone and, you know, just all of the, just the, oh, like this is really hard right now. I, you know, I, I do, I think about like fighters and what they go through and how much they put on the line and it makes my life seem a little bit more palatable and easy. And then the last thing that was just interesting about the trip that I'll say is just that uh, my grandfather, his last, he was in the Air Force and his last he was last stationed at shaw air force base which is right in the area where i was filming and so for me to film there i had to get a waiver and an authorization from the faa and then talk to the air traffic control people and let them know three days out that i'm coming here's the radius i'll be flying here's the altitude i'll be flying here's my information i won't be filming any military operations and then you call like the day of you know so yeah, i'm having to deal with the tower of the the air force base that my grandfather was last 
stationed at and you know flew in and out of and then and then on top of that I told my mom that I was going there and I didn't even know this but my mother and father in 1966 were married at this Air Force base so really so, yeah so it was just this strange uh, convergence of kind of um, I found it novel that I was doing this I couldn't help but think about how strange it was that I'm going to the backyard cord and the, the, you know I'm ch- I'm tracing roots all over the southeast of this young man's story and going to all these locations that have been part of his story and, and part of his origin and I'm thinking about how interesting that is that I've never met this guy but I I can tell you very like minute little details about his home or you know yeah like not inside but you know what I mean like the the the, the, sure. the the yard and the situation out there and everything I thought it was interesting that I was just following this guy's story and I don't know him like what a weird thing and then I realized also as I was learning more about my ties to that area that I was in a weird way kind of participating in my own part of my own sort of origin story so it was interesting yeah it was just sort of a neat little a neat little are you gonna get signed to the Grizzlies no I'm not Uh, (laughs) no I'm not but but I'll tell you what though this, this this kid, I feel like I'm old enough to just talk about people that are under 21 as kids. Can I, is that okay? Oh, sure. I just, sure. I don't want to be that guy. He's a young man. He's, you know, he's a man. But, uh, but this kid, he's just, I mean, go look at the, go look at the highlights of Ja Morant from his rookie season with the Memphis Grizzlies on YouTube. It is out of control. Like this kid is really, really special. And when you get a sense, yeah. And so, and like, you know, when we were there filming, you know, his family's all around there and family's a huge part of his life and his story, you know, like his aunt drove by, who are you guys? What do you do? Oh, right. That told me you were, you know, everywhere we went, you know, and any family that we sort of met from a distance, people were so sweet, so kind. Like, I think it was probably his, maybe his nephew or his little brother. I'm out there in their yard filming the backyard court at his new house. It's like a much nicer court and I'm just dying. And this kid couldn't have been more than 15, just comes walking way, it's a huge area. He comes walking way out to me with this ice cold bottle of water and just, <sighs> and just sets it down. you could tell they were just like, this guy looks like he's a wreck, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, but it was just, I was just, I was really touched by it, right? Because these people are really, I got a, a real sense of his family and his ethos and kind of what he's about and he's not above things. And then, and then lastly, you know, I was just looking today, you know, apparently what's happening in the NBA bubble right now that they have in Orlando is a lot of the higher end players or whatever, Rajon Rondo's complaining about his hotel room and likening it to a Motel 6. You know, meanwhile, like anybody with from the free world otherwise, you know, is going to look at that and be like, dude, you have a really nice hotel room. I know you're sacrificing other things to be in this quarantine, essentially, to do all this, but like you're not... Like, this is not suffering, so, you know, calm down. Right. And uh, and John Morant had put out a thing, you know, that just said some, his quote on the matter that, you know, when they were asking, I guess, players about whether they were happy with everything and trying to get people to complain, I think, you know, with the media. And uh, and John Morant was, he just said something along the lines of, like, I, I'm not a silver spoon kind of guy. This is great. I'm fine with my room. I'm fine with the food. I'm fine with whatever, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like we just have work to do and we're fine. It's fine, you know. Yeah, that's great. And so, anyway, it was a very it's a very strange way to get to know the locations and the sort of ethereal sort of essence of someone without having any sense of who they are as a person having met them in person. 
right. you know, it's a strange and you've thing. You've met like all you've met his extended family. Yeah, so yeah. Talk to him. Yeah, you know. So so it was. But anyway, so it was just. It was a real. It was a really cool uh, experience and and uh, a very hard one. It was very. It was a, some of the hardest filming I've ever done. And uh, anyway, so I would love to tell people like, and it's going to come out on this, and it's going to be that. I have no idea. It's not really my project. You know, I will say that the, you know, the the, the director has he did the the AJ one documentary, which is uh, the Air Jordan one documentary, which is fantastic. Uh, and you know, it's just gonna, it, you know, it's going to be great. And the, mm-hmm. these guys make incredible, incredible documentary work in that sphere. So. Super honored to be a part of it. Kind of want to go back. You know how it is like when you do something, Joe, where you, you do a gallery show or you do your own pieces or you go on a photography thing and you get stuff together. There's just that, how do you get past this, right? Like this feeling of no matter what it is that you do, you're going to beat yourself up about it on some level. I could have done better. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Man, if I, you know, if I could just go back to that location again, I would know exactly how to shoot that or, you know, mm-hmm. but under sort of the duress of the moment, that was the best that I could sort of see or come up with, or I didn't know any better. Or if I just would have been more patient or, you know, so I, I go back and study my footage and just get so mad, you know, because I'm such a weird kind of perfectionist about uh-huh. what I'm doing and I'm never happy with it. I mean, there'll be moments that I'm like, yeah, that's pretty awesome, you know, but generally i'm just do you, do you beat yourself up joe because I, I beat myself up i do sometimes you know i remember uh when i was doing a photo essay of nolensville pike which for people who don't know well for people who don't know i do quite a bit of street photography and nolensville pike is a, a very long road very dense commercial road in in the south nashville neighborhood of, of nashville and and i think that i ended up when I did that, I was doing it as an assignment for the WPLN National Public Radio website. So it was a, a photo essay that they ended up publishing on their website and we did a whole little radio program about it, you know, kind of documenting the process of taking these photographs and whatnot. And when I did that, I remember, you know, after we got everything done, I was turning in my invoices and I got an email or a phone call from somebody and they were sort of like just asking me about like all these miles I was claiming <laughs> on my invoice. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to sort of explain myself and say that I had driven down to Nolensville. I think I'd driven down to Nolensville Pike and driven up and down Nolensville Pike like four times before I finally just quit doing it. Yeah. And part of it was because there were certain things that I found down there that, you know, when I'm when I'm doing this stuff, I do it very just Oh, natural. I don't have any lights or any tricks or anything, you yeah. know, so I'm, I'm, I'm just strictly, you know, whatever anybody might see at that same moment with whatever camera they might have, they could possibly be taking the exact same photo I would be taking. So, so if I found certain things, basically it was a pro- the biggest problem was lighting because I kept on coming across things that I wanted to get under better lighting circumstances yep. or better angles or whatever. Yep. And when one thing's on the the east side of the street yep. or the west side of the street, it's totally different. The time of the day is totally different. So there was one thing in particular. There was a sculpture at a gallery down there that I was trying to shoot over this fence because it looked like it almost looked like a monster coming out of the water, essentially, when you saw this thing over this fence. It was like this really cool thing. But I just could not get it. 
the way I wanted to because of the sun. And so th- dumb things like that, that I kept on like insisting on not having any capacity to manipulate, but also insisting that it had to be exactly the way I wanted it yeah, to be. Yeah. And I just kept going back. It was also uh, a factor of that place was so, again, it's just so dense with signage and activity and, you know, all sorts of stuff going on in the streets down there that I just, it really took me to doing it that many times before I finally decided that I had somehow been able to represent it as it actually was with like 20 photographs. You know, I, I had to take 80 or 90 or a hundred. I don't even know how many I took before I finally was like, okay, this is representative of the experience of this space, yeah. which is, you know, which is a very intense, visually intense place. So yeah. And in, in that sense, I definitely, you know, I definitely find myself being a perfectionist. I, I mean, I kind of do it with it with a little bit of everything, you know, just, you know, I, you know, writers are famous for the idea that you're somehow like, you know, procrastinating to the last minute of your deadline before you get your act together and you know, spit out your writing. And that can be, true but generally speaking for me it's like by the time something's due i've already i've already written it and have been editing it so that by the time i hand it in it's you know it's it's pretty damn tight you know what i mean and and that's just a factor of i don't want it to not be that way you know what i mean i want to make sure it's it's good to go before i hand it off to an editor and not just for their convenience but just for my own sanity because if 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 something pops up, you know, in an article or something that doesn't make any sense or is weirdly worded or is like, you know, even factually wrong or something. I just, I, that drives me insane, you know? So, yeah. uh, it's one of the hard things about when you're actually getting interviewed or there's a, something actually about your work, you know, th- the same thing bothers me, but you can't let it bother you in that case. Cause it's just, you just have to let it go. And it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, well, I'm in the paper. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've been acknowledged in some way as being alive and doing something. That's pretty good. Right. Just let speaking it... of it, really quick, speaking of acknowledging people and, and, and keeping our facts straight, the <laughs> quote, hell is other people is actually from uh, the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. Oh yeah. Yeah. In his play, No Exit, yeah. uh, one of the characters says, hell is no people, and our hell is other people acknowledging our inability to escape the watchful gaze of everyone around us. So there we go. There's a little existentialism for you on a Thursday afternoon, everybody. God, I just blew that completely. Uh, so, you're pretty close. Dostoevsky, also an existentialist. You just had the wrong country. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Those Russian existentialists are a whole other flavor. <laughs> I I have way too much uh, natural sort of intrinsic alignment with a lot of those uh, <laughs> outlooks. Let's right, Kafka as well. You, you mentioned him too. So yeah. you were you were hovering right around it, Brian. I yeah, think I was calling it like you know. Yeah, look at that. It's like in the music yeah, world. Like if you were just, like, it's it's like in the music world. If you were like. Uh, 38 special. No, Leonard Skinner. No. It's the Almond Brothers, idiot. Long-haired Southern guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we should probably get out of here, but is there anything that you have, Joe, before we, 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 we head on that you want to um, drop? 
I don't, you know, it's interesting. I'm not sure what's going on. You know, I, I would like uh, the journalist in me would love to tell people, especially people here in Nashville, whether or not there will be uh, a formal virtual art crawl this month. The they've, they've been doing a thing where in Nashville, instead of our actual art crawl event, where we have a bunch of galleries open new shows on the first Saturday of every month. And that's really the sort of night that, you know, that's the, that's the, the, the night when, when we usually go out to go to see art shows. The East Nashville does one of their own usually on the second Saturday. So those are you know events that we normally looked forward to before March. But the, all the galleries dealing with first Saturday have been have been a sort of creating a virtual experience by all creating videos of the shows they're doing and then putting those all together into one big presentation that that the last time they did it they even had like a musical performance it was really kind of a kind of a fun thing to watch and and you know so instead of going out on the town at six o'clock on a Saturday night you can go to the Nashville Gallery Association's YouTube page and then and then it's a video that like is you know, just kind of hanging out there and doesn't actually go, you can't actually view it until six o'clock on Saturday night. So it's kind of, it's about, it's about, you know, it's, it, it's kind of one of those things where it sort of stinks because it just makes you remember that you wish you were out actually doing this stuff, but it's still been a pretty fun thing to do on Saturdays. But when all the protests and everything broke loose uh, in early June, they decided to not do, not they just canceled it for that uh, first Saturday in June. And then on June 20th, they went ahead and, and said, okay, let's go ahead and release it now. Like it, it's a better time. It's not such a crazy sensitive time. I mean, Nashville's courthouse building was getting burned down. <laughs> it just seemed like a, yeah. a crazy time to be asking people to look at gallery videos. But then because it was released so late, they didn't do it in, they didn't have anything in July. And I was, you know, curious as to whether they were going to bother doing it anymore at all. I wasn't sure what the consensus was. And as of right now, I'm talking to a bunch of different galleries and trying to find out if that's something they're actually going to do or are some of the galleries just going to put out their own videos. So I'm not sure what's going to happen here in Nashville in August, except for the fact that I know for sure that the Red Arrow Gallery in East Nashville is going to open a new show and I will actually have a piece of work in that show. And I'm sure on some level they will do something to make that available for people to see. I would think that they'll probably do their own video, even if it's not part of a larger video art crawl or virtual art crawl. But I can let people know as we get closer to that I've actually been working on a painting for this piece. It's sort of a, it's kind of a multimedia piece. I just can't, I can't make myself make a thing. I just always end up having to make it be many things at once. But, but I'm almost done with it. Speaking of perfection, I, I'm like, I'm almost done with it. I just today I was counting up all the every every time I do another layer on this thing, I take another photo and I, I I've missed a couple, but I've gotten at least 13 photos. I think that means I've actually been working like different layers of this thing like about 15 times. <laughs> so so it's it's getting pretty crazy. But but the show is called Breathless and it's it's basically sort of a response to the tornado we've had in Nashville, the uh, the pandemic that we've experienced here in Nashville, the way we've experienced here, and also the the experience of all the Black Lives Matter protests that we've had here in Nashville. There's been an ongoing occupation at our legislative plaza here in an effort to remove some Confederate uh, statuary from the Capitol building. 
so we've got our own version of that story going on down here. And so all the work in the show is going to be reflections of that in one way or another. It's a big group show of gallery artists. So I'm excited to be a part of it. I've, I've still got some work to do before I get this thing finished, but, but it's going to be a fun thing to be a part of. And, and when, we, when we move forward in the next few weeks, I can give people more details about that. I've also got some music that I just got done. I had a couple of songs that were sort of kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, semi-produced. But I recently teamed up with my buddy Jeff Brown, who's a fantastic drummer here in town. And uh, he re- has a setup at his house where he can just you know, do his own drum tracks on whatever you send him. So my friend Andrew Adkins had produced some some songs for me. We mailed them over to Jeff and Jeff put his drum kit on them. They had just had electrical, you know, electric drums that I had recorded to. So Jeff put his uh, full kit on these. And then when he got them back, Andrew got a bunch of ideas that he wanted to add. So we put some bass and organ and all sorts of stuff on these. And one of the songs is something that for the time being, I'm planning to just be pitching to some people. And then the other song is probably going to be my my first single of this year, which is called Lone Wolves Together. So so that'll be coming out soon, but there'll be more news about that in a bit. I'm, I'm just listening to it right now and still kind of wondering at like how we can actually do this, just mail these sessions around to oh, each yeah. other. No, it's- and, you know, you live in a place like Nashville and people have these amazing home studios and yep. they're these incredibly talented musicians and you can just do this. And uh, yep. it's something that back in 2008... Uh, when I made a record back then, uh, I had a guitar player who's my guitar player again still, but now he's back in Nashville. But at that time, he was living in Chicago. And I remember when we were getting ready to make that record, it was, uh, you know, it's 12 years ago now, and it was a bit of a bigger deal to get set up between us and Chicago to make sure we were going to be able to to do exactly this. Stuff works now. yeah, it worked great then too. I mean, it worked out okay, but it was a big it was a bit of a bigger deal and and now it's just it's just effortless. I mean, it's nobody even really has to think about it. It's just like, yeah, man, send me your stems. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And so then it's just that yeah, that's it. So so it's been uh, it's been kind of fun. I just was in touch with Jeff today and making sure we, you know, got our got our business all taken care of and everything. But he's a fantastic drummer and, and it's it's been kind of fun to be working on a music project with my buddies again because yeah. it's been a while. I've got an album project that's just on the back burner again because we can't all get in the studio to mix it together. But I sort of don't want to. That's kind of one of my favorite parts of that process. And it's like, bro, do not do not finish this without me being in that room and being able to like actually sort of just dive into the fun of mixing a project. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best thing. So it's it's a confirmation of the vibe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's it's just so much fun to 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 that that you know, that last step when you're just fine tuning everything and it's 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 such a it, it's 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 such a gratifying part of the process yeah. versus like the tracking process, which I find to be such a grind in a lot of ways. Yeah. It can also be full of magic and wonder, but it's it also is it's 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 the really fun part is when you just get to be just ears and and faders and right. knobs and you're just like woo you know uh, yeah, and, and also of, too every now and then a new idea and grab a thing and make a noise and uh, it's yeah, so great like for, like <laughs> so, the idea of like uh it's like framing a house like putting a yeah. foundation in and framing a house versus yeah. like uh actually interior uh, decorating doing doing finishes and and decorating yeah yeah that's that's it's really fun to just hang all the little baubles around so so anyway but it's it's been you know i've been able to you know 
get some of this work ready for this gallery show and, and actually hopefully have, have some music that I'm about to release. So that's, that's all really good. And, and I think anybody, if you're able to do any of these things at any level right now and stay productive in any way, you know, that's great. If it's, if it's too much to bear or if you're, you know, financial situation or your familiar situation or your domestic situation makes all that stuff hard. You know, you know, I would say just try to exercise and eat healthy and, and get some sunshine and, and, and stay ready for, for when you're able to get, get back on track. I hear you. Well, man, it's good to be back. I've, I don't like missing a week, you know, I feel like we, we always have a pretty good rhythm, even with the, with the chaos. I think we do, we do pretty well. We are approaching our episode 100, so we're going to have to think. Yeah. Did we, we say this is 97, by the way? Yeah, this is, yep, yeah, this is 97. So, it's uh, amazing. yeah, so happy about that. So, yeah, that's basically it, everybody. Joe, uh, you can be found at, at Mighty Joe Nolan. I can be found at, at Those Drones. And uh, you can right. see this episode if you're listening, or you can listen if you're seeing, or you can follow or do all the things or click on stuff or buy shirts or do whatever the hell you want yeah, that's right. uh, at artfightpodcast.com. And we appreciate everybody uh, listening and watching. And, and if you are watching, please do the subscribe thing or the like thing or whatever all the things are because we have a long way to go to transition our listening audience to, to, to video. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as, and you can find Art Fight Podcast. We've got our own channel on YouTube. we got our own page on Facebook. We're our own page on Instagram, our own thing on on Twitter besides our own personal thing. So, yeah. you know, if, if you've been enjoying the show, you know, like Brian saying, like, follow like subscribe you know it helps us a lot and and we would appreciate it very much and if you follow me on instagram or twitter like send me a little dm and i'll make sure to follow you back i don't always when people i'm not it's a weird thing on twitter i don't know if it's my settings or what but people will follow me and if i'm not already following them it won't necessarily tell me that this person's now following me so i try to keep up with folks but if you're a fan of the show just just say hey and i'll be sure to follow you back excellent All right. Well, Joe, I'll see you in the green room momentarily, but for everybody else, we're out. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you soon. Peace. Hey guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right
Thanks, everyone.